Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com. God, we, this morning, um, with those that are here today, that God, we ask for a real movement of your Holy Spirit. This is a practical message because we need practical things in our lives sometimes. And this last year has been really tough on a number of levels. And so many of us probably feel still to this day restricted, um, down, depressed, um, stuck. And so, God, we ask that this series and the next few weeks are ones where we experience greater and greater freedom, stepping into the life that you'd want us to live um, as a church. Amen. I want to read from Ecclesiastes today. Now, uh, I would expect that most of you have maybe read a little bit of Ecclesiastes or read it through if you did like the Bible plan for a year, but I would be interested to know after service if anybody has done like a deep dive into Ecclesiastes because I have not. Uh, I, it is a depressing book. It is a, a, an absolutely depressing book. And, um, and you'll hear some of that in the passage I'm gonna read today. So this is Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 12. It says this. Again, this is Solomon speaking, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, and yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, I've heard people read this passage before at weddings, and if you did that, if you're married and you did that, that's totally fine. I'm not here to, to like trash on you today. But this is not a passage about marriage. Okay, I'm just going to lay that out there right, of, right out front. This is Solomon and all of his splendor. The wealthiest man in the world at the time, one of the wealthiest men in the history of the world. Some argue that Jeff Bezos' wealth, whatever, you know, the richest man in the world right now, could not compare to the riches in comparison to, to other people that Solomon had in all of his glory. This is a man with power. He is the king of Israel. He's the king of Israel in its glory days. Right after King David, where they had power and might in the region that they were in, he had many people that followed him and listened to him. He had hundreds and hundreds of wives and midwives. He could go and he could take anyone that he wanted to be essentially his, his slave, to work for him, to, to do whatever he asked them to do. And yet here's a man that's writing essentially a sad sequel to the first book that he wrote, which is Proverbs. Proverbs is a book all on wisdom, if you remember the story, Solomon asks God for wisdom and God grants him wisdom. 
He has greater wisdom than anybody else, but later on in his life, after accumulating all of these things, he begins to break his covenant with God, to reject what God would want him to do and, and to, to rule as king. And because of that, hardship and sadness and depression come upon Solomon when he realizes that none of the things that he has accumulated is satisfying him. He's writing this book in Proverbs about being peaceful and wise, and yet he has played the fool. He has failed to take his own advice. And the word that's used over and over and over again in Ecclesiastes is vanity. That word means it's empty. It's meaningless. It's short-lived. It's like a vapor. He's admitting to a selfish living, an empty focus on one's self. Solomon is trying to warn us. He's saying, if we center our lives on possessions over people, we will end up miserable. If we set ourselves up pursuing power and money and things, we will be disappointed. And whenever I read uh, <laughs> statements like that in the Bible, part of me is like, yeah, but I'd like to find out for myself. Like, you know what I mean? Like, let me have the millions and then realize what Solomon's realizing. Like, I mean, if we're being honest, right? Because there is a part of this, like, how could it be that bad? How could it be that empty? Uh, Tom Brady, who's a famous football player, maybe the greatest quarterback of all time, after winning multiple Super Bowls, marrying a, 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 his beautiful wife that's famous for being good looking, uh, then he has all this money and fame and, and, he, and he has a quote in Sports Illustrated early on in his career. He says, is this it? Is this, is this kind of everything? And you're kind of like, come on, man. How can, you, how can you say that? It's got to be better than, but, but Solomon is trying to plead with us. He's trying to warn us. He's trying to say a life spent pursuing these things is going to end up feeling like vanity. It's going to be worthless. It's going to be meaningless. In our culture, in our context in America, uh, at every corner pushes us towards these things that Solomon has and he's telling us are meaningless. Uh, just little things. I was, <laughs> I love the game Monopoly. Does anyone, has anyone played Monopoly? It's a fun game, right? Uh, you you you, uh, you try to get property. You build houses, and then you build bigger houses and hotels. And if people land on you, they give you their money, and it's just a really fun game, right? But I was playing this with my family the other day, and I love Monopoly. I think it's like such a fun game. Um, and I was like thinking about like, what's the end goal of Monopoly? The end goal is to literally own all the property and all the money and everyone else goes bankrupt and then you win. <laughs> like even the game is like American, right? To the core of like, let me, how can I take everyone else's money, all their property, and then I am declared the winner. Um, so I'm, I, I say that, and the first couple verses is, is Solomon 7 and 8 saying, I saw something meaningless under the sun, someone that didn't have a son or a brother. His toil never ends, and he can't even enjoy his wealth. It's all meaningless. And I would say there's probably most of us in this room are not striving after those things. 
So it'd be easy to take those first couple of verses and say, you know what, I, I'm certain that there are times in my life that I'm after possessions or I've been after money or been after power, but really, truly, most of us probably in this room have said, you know what, there's a better way to live than that. But even so, even if that's you, even if you've maybe said, you know what, I don't struggle with the temptation that Solomon of power and, 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 and wealth and all, and all of these other things, there's still something here as it goes on in the passage. So there's a warning against that, and that's you, then you should take heed of that warning. But there's more here. There's more here that's, that's tied to isolation, that's tied to living uh, on your own. And what's interesting to me is that Solomon is saying that he's lonely, saying that, that he's essentially like without son or brother, and yet he has lots of sons, he has lots of children, he has lots of wives, yet he's feeling isolated, yet he's feeling alone. So he makes this statement in verse nine, two are better than one. And then he goes on to give us a number of reasons, uh, uh, ways in which two are better than one. And what he's trying to, to show us is I wanna show you what a meaningful life is. And a meaningful life is not lived by yourself, is not lived on your own. Again, this is not about marriage. This is about belonging. This is about community. I don't love the term community because it's just kind of thrown out there like, hey, like, let's have community. What do you mean by that? You know, like just showing up at someone's house to have dinner, like that's a form of community, but it's not belonging, right? And so I think what Solomon wants us to say is like there's a, a difference between being, we want to move from isolation to belonging, not just a level of presence around other people. So we live in a culture that exalts the individual, but God does not join us in exalting the individual. We reject the idea of community at times. We, we, we're okay with being empty and lonely. And the reality is you could have any amount of money, you could be rich or you could be poor, and you could still be isolated. You could still feel alone. Proverbs 18.1 says, the one who has isolated himself seeks his own desires. He rejects all sound judgment. And so I think what Solomon's saying here and what we're, we're going to read about a bit more in the rest of the sermon today is, um, is something that's not just in Ecclesiastes, but it is based off of the whole canon of scripture. Um, if you go back to Genesis 1 in the garden and the first couple chapters of Genesis, we find Adam with God in the garden walking with God in the fullness of God's presence, right? Like more than any of us have ever probably experienced in our lives. He's innocent, right? Sin has not entered into the world. And yet, what does he say? God says, uh, basically, Adam's lonely. And so I've heard people throw out the idea that like God is all you need, right? Just give me Jesus. I don't need anything else. Uh, that's actually not true. We actually are made for more than just the relationship between us and God. We need one another. We need other people. So um, Solomon's going to make the case. Two are better than one. Four reasons that two are better than one. And this is a very practical sermon. You have to kind of put yourself back into the context of Solomon to fully grasp what he's saying. And I, I, don't want us to, I don't want us to move too quickly from the practical to the spiritual here. We're going to get there, but I think it's too easy. But he's making the case that two are better than one for very practical reasons. 
um, that are important for us, I think, as we live our lives. The first is when we work. Verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return on their labor. Now, he's living in an agricultural society. And he's saying you can essentially go and you can go farm the land. But if you do it with another person, you'll produce a greater crop. Whatever your task is, whatever your work is, collaboration, working with others, getting to the best idea, getting to the best plan, uh, is, is you're going to sharpen one another and you're going to produce the greatest crop. Isn't that interesting? He's essentially making a claim that working with other people, you'll be more successful than you would be on your own. That's pretty practical. He's saying community, like belonging to a group of people will actually help you succeed in your work. I love that. The second one is also practical. Verse 10, it says, if either of them falls down, talking again about working, they can help another person up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. I was thinking about, um, I had a, a cousin that is about a, 10 years older than me, and I didn't know him very well. Um, but when I was in um, about 20 or so, uh, he, maybe I was in high school, he, he passed away. And it was, it was uh, really sad. He had like a massive heart attack at a pretty young age. But he, um, and you've probably heard of this happening to other people, but he, he was found in his apartment uh, over a week after he had passed away. And even as a, like a 17-year-old, I thought, wow. That's, that's sad, isn't it? That he could have, for a whole week, been in a, his apartment and no one knew that he you know, had passed away. That no one checked on him. No one, I mean, at least that I, that I knew of what was like going on and like what people told us. No one had checked on him. And then I thought, well, that's possible for me. <laughs> I am a very introverted person. I could isolate myself in that way if I didn't have my, you know, like my, my, maybe Sarah, you know, passes away and my, my kids are out. I can see myself getting into a situation where that would happen to me. And when we're going through hardships and when we fall down and we go through troubles and we go through depression and we go through anxiety and we go through worry and we go through loss and we go through hardships and job loss, if you're all by yourself, it's so much harder, isn't it? And Solomon's saying how sad it is if you fall down and you're in a situation where you can't get back up and there's no one there to help you. Two are better than one because we need others to help us when we fall down. And I think that it's easy um, when, you, when, we're, when we're younger to, it's hard to imagine a time where we're going to need help. We just feel invincible. Like it's hard for me to imagine, um, you know, my, my parents are, are um, 70 now, almost 70, and you know, they're thinking about that stuff. Like, I'm going to need help. Uh, I need people to pick me up. But there are lots of people that are my age or younger that go through very, very hard things and hard times. And they, we need people to pick us up. We're naive to think that we can just do this life on our own, Solomon is declaring to us. 
And I think that we could go a little bit more spiritual with this one. I think that there is a level of when we fall, like there's like, it's like when we make a mistake, when we get into sin, when we run from God, is there someone there that's going to pick us up? Is there someone that's there that's going to encourage us back to the faith, that's gonna call us back to God, that's going to help us when we're down, when we're lost, when we're sad, when we're doubting? Is there someone that's going to be there for us and bear our burdens when we have a child, make a meal, when we're confused about what to do that's going to come over and have a conversation with us. When we lose our job, it's going to recommend us for a new one or help us with our resume or put in a good word with somebody else, right? I mean, these are simple things that we all need in our lives at some time. The third thing that Solomon says, two are better than one if you are in the cold. Verse 11, also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? This is a one that everyone tries to make about marriage, and it's just not. We're just not used to this idea in our culture. Okay, people in the ancient Near East would have been traveling outside, uh, going from city to city, on journeys, doing whatever they were going to do, and there weren't just hotels to stop in. They didn't have cars, so just warm them up when they're cold. They couldn't hop into a taxi and pay some money. They didn't have, uh, you know, nice tents that they could carry with them. Maybe they didn't know anybody in town that could take, you know, maybe there was no room for them in the inn. And it's just a simple statement of that if you're by yourself out in the cold, you're going to be freezing. But if you have somebody else with you, if you cozy up next to them, guess what? They're going to keep you warm. They're going to keep you from freezing. They're going to keep you and help you in your need. Life leaves us in the cold a lot, doesn't it? Who are we going to depend upon? Whose body he's going to keep us alive and warm? You don't have to be uh, on, on, on this, in the ancient Near East traveling on a road to, to find yourself in extreme circumstances in life and who's going to be there with you. And the last one, and I love this one, it's like when you're in a fight. I mean, I don't know, maybe no one in this room's ever been like, I haven't been like jumped by multiple people and gotten beat up. I have been in a fight before. I know you probably can't believe it. Uh, on the playground of my elementary school, I was not very tough, but one of the, you know, maybe like could hold my own against half the class. Um, I love this though. Like we don't think about fighting maybe very much anymore. I don't know, maybe you do. Um, but when you're in a fight, it does help to have someone else, doesn't it? When you're in a battle, like it's, it's way easier when you're not on your own. And I think it absolutely can be real. We live in a culture where maybe this isn't often our situation. But I do think that there are many people in our context and culture and even in our city where they absolutely need somebody else to be there. And it provides protection for them. But even if that's not you, um, we need people to help protect us. Protect us from um, hardships, protect us from bad decisions, protect us from um, going the wrong path. 
when we're facing temptation of sin, we need people to um, gird up with us to help us to stay accountable. We, we uh, found out that Mays was doing something. I'm not gonna tell you what he was doing, but he's doing something he wasn't supposed to do. He's our son, he's nine. And, um, and we were like, oh man, this is kind of shocking. Like this is like, oh, like I wish he wasn't doing that thing. And, um, and we felt responsible because, right, we're his parents for like not helping him through this in some, some regard. And then, and then we, we sat down and talked to him and we're like, we love you. And because we love you, we're gonna battle this with you, right? This thing that you're going through, this thing that this hardship that you're going, is going on in your life, we're gonna, we're gonna fight on your behalf, right? We're gonna set up ways in which we can avoid the thing happening that's happened, the thing that you've done wrong. That's what it means to be and belong in community. And I think about those that are, um, you know, black and brown and other races and, you know, Asian that have have all experienced racism. Like, don't they need people to, like, stand with them, to fight with them, to... This plays dividends in our lives. Two are better than one. Ten are better than two. So what I'm talking about, and I think just to kind of summarize what Solomon's saying, maybe for our context and our time today, what he's saying is it's two are better than one because we need someone to talk to so when we are lonely, someone to stand when we can't stand up anymore, someone to fight with us when we can't fight anymore, someone to care for us when we are sick, someone to encourage us when we are down, someone to give us to us when we don't have enough, someone to call us when we are or when we are anxious, someone to meet with us when we are depressed, someone to make us a meal when we have a baby or are sick, someone to pray for us when we don't know what to say, someone to pick up our kids when we're running late, someone to give us a job lead when we need one, someone to listen to us to help us solve our problems or just to be there, someone to speak truth in our lives when we're running off, someone to remind us of the goodness of God when we are in doubt, someone to call us back to the light when we are living in the darkness. This is what it means, according to Solomon, to live a meaningful life. Two are better than one. I want to say, though, it's more than just being around other people. It's more than just doing something for someone else. It's belonging. Isn't there a difference between that, those two things? I was thinking back to um, going to undergraduate college uh, away from home for the first time in my life and I was on a dorm room floor I didn't know anybody and um and that's a scary spot to be in you're just showing up to some place and maybe you, some of you moved to Chicago or moved from a part of the city to a new part of the city I mean you all have been probably a spot where you didn't know people and you felt alone and I remember these two people Neil and Pete they were really nice to me, and they kept inviting me over to their dorm room, and we'd have uh, off-brand cereal and milk, and we'd, and we'd play video games and watch movies and things pretty much every night instead of doing our homework and other things we should have been doing. And Pete and Neil had grown up together. They knew their histories. They knew their stories. They knew their struggles. They knew their faults, and they would just make fun of each other, and they would you know, joke with each other, but they were like best friends. And me coming in from the outside, 
uh, it was great to be included, wasn't it? Like, I mean, like, you know, it's nice to be in the room. I had something to do instead of being by myself. But there was a big difference between those first few weeks and months later. There's a big difference between me being present with them and feeling comfortable with them. Being present with them and belonging with them. Being present with them and knowing that they actually cared about me enough to have my back, to make fun of me, to joke around with me, to invite me to things, to include me, to see me as their brother and friend. So I long for our church to be a place where people don't just come and are present, but that they belong. That they have friends and people that care about them, that will walk with them, that will fight for them, that will be with them regardless. And it's easy to give this sermon, and it's like we've been stuck. So like I, I, Many of you live in intentional community, and you've been separated for a year, Right? Like you're either, some of you are in college or some of you are living at Jesus. I mean, that is like, it's a hard thing. So I don't want anybody to feel bad about the situation that they're in now. I'm just saying, I think, I hope that as we step out of this year and we begin to experience more and more freedom, that our natural response is to go back, to, to go back into community, to fight for those friendships, to really believe Solomon when he says two are better than one. There's so many people that I know that are walking away from their faith right now. And it's like, and, 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 and so many people do it in isolation. And it just makes me so sad. And it's like, would it be different if they were walking with other people in community? Would it be different if they were not alone? And what's beautiful about this is that this, this whole, all these things that are practical things that Solomon are saying about two are better than one, they're, they're true of God and Jesus as well. What we do for one another is supposed to be a picture of what God does for us. So when we are at work, God is with us. When we fall down, who picks us up? Like Jesus is there to pick us up, to be there for us. When we are in extreme circumstances, God is for us. When we're in a fight, God is fighting our battles. He's helping us resist the evil when he's helping us through whatever troubles we are having. We are a reflection of what God does for us and what the Trinity does in its very nature. And so I just, I really want to encourage, as th- we're, it's a lot for us to even put on the service on Sunday mornings. It's a lot for people to come out, I know, uh, a year away from this. But there are gonna be more and more opportunities for you to step into friendship, into belonging, into community. And I don't want you to miss it. I don't want myself, to, I don't wanna miss it. Because I, if I take Solomon's words seriously, when he says two are better than one, that our life is going to have so much more meaning. It's going to have so much more significance as we do it with other people. And I think, I really believe that there is more significance um, to do this in the church than just in the rest of the world. Now hear me out. Because some people will say, well, you can have this anywhere. You don't have to be at church. But there is something to be said when you're on the same path, when you have the same goal, when you're going after the same thing, when you want the kingdom of God to be present on earth as it is in heaven. 
There's a camaraderie, there's a friendship, there's a unity that comes that's deeper than just normal friendship because you're after the same things. And I just find it so incredibly sad. And some people get frustrated about this and rail against this when people say, I can have greater spirituality uh, by myself outside of the church. People say that all the time. I've heard it dozens of times to me personally saying that about our church or other churches. And I don't get angry about that. I get sad that their perspective is that they could be part of a, a community. What kind of community have they been a part of that they could feel like they could have more of God, more help, more life giving in isolation with God than they can in a community with God? I just think that there's more. I think that God would call us to deeper, to more depth, to greater friendship, to belonging. Will you pray with me? God, um, we're so blessed that you um, even now are with us and that you have promised us that there will be other people that will do this journey with us. And that's why, that's what the church is all about. To bear one another's burdens, to walk with one another in the hardships of life. And this last year has been hard. As we begin to see the light and step out and feeling less stuck, would we not stay in isolation, but would we step into community? And would this be a place, a place where people can belong, a, people, or a place where people can feel like there are people that accept them and that love them and that welcome them and that bear their burdens and that care for them deeply and that would sacrifice for them as we sacrifice for one another. God, so often it's easy because I think of how individualistic we are. We sometimes think, why has no one called to check in on me? Why has no one you know, set up a meal with me? Why is no one helping me out? And I would just ask the question, is there someone that you're supposed to call this week? Is there someone that you're supposed to give to? Is there someone supposed to, you're supposed to invite for dinner? To take the step to say, I'm with you, I'm for you. I'm, I want to um, be in community with you. Would you challenge us to take those steps even this week, even this day? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.